Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How are we doing? Everybody okay? Everybody doing good? Um, so this is the uh, the rebel class where almost nobody's got the mask on. Y'all bunch a bunch of heathens. That's the, I mean, some of y'all I knew. But... <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. If you do as I do, it will not go well for you. It will not go well for you. But uh, anyway, I, I was. Uh, let me uh, open for a prayer, and we will. Uh, We'll, we'll jump in. Uh, Lord, thanks for today. Uh, for Tim, for the service, uh, and for our time uh, here. And Lord, pray that uh, for our studies, uh, our uh, eyes would be open, our minds transformed. So, uh, Lord, pray that you do your work, through your word in Christ. Amen. I was looking, uh, hey, everybody online, you guys. I was looking um, on uh, while we, while Tim, Tim preached for those of you online uh, didn't see the service. He preached uh, in uh, Romans chapter twelve, and, uh, and I want to show you uh, a little bit of just real briefly. We're going to jump into Revelation. How um, translators have to pick words and. And then the way they translate it forms how people understand it. And then sometimes there's a need for a new translation because people have misunderstood because of the way that it was, it was translated. Uh, what we've got here is in the middle column there is, uh, I guess that's New American Standard. And on the left is the, the Greek. Good morning. Parakalo. Uh, uh, this is... Uh, uh, Hollow is to call, para is with, right? So Paul's whole history is proclaiming the word of the Lord to the Gentiles. And so what the Lord is proclaiming, he is proclaiming, that makes sense, right? So he is proclaiming with the Lord, uh, or uh, it's translated, I urge, I proclaim with the Lord, you brethren. Through the, it's translated mercies. It's really not the word that's usually translated as mercy. It's more pity. Uh, through the pity, the pities of uh, of God. Um, this is where it gets really interesting. Uh, present stay um, uh, my. Uh, well, it's just the, the, there's there's a, a different word that's usually translated as um, here. Hold on. Let me mute everybody. Okay, because it was distracting to some. Okay, um, and then I lost my train of thought. I cannot multitask, and we had a long talk about this last night, and it frustrates me to get. Of course. I'm like a four-year-old. I can't keep my train of thought. Pity. Not pitiful. Pity. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, so the word here is, isn't the regular word that, that is used for to have mercy. It's, it's actually a different word to, to, to pity, to have pity. Okay. And so it's uh, it's in verse 1. 
Uh, it's the word right here. Uh, compassion, mercy, pity. See, when I hold it over there, it's going to show up at the end. See it or right there at the bottom. It's kind of hard to see. Okay. Um, uh, so uh, I urge together with God, brethren, through the, the, the pity of God, through the, this mercy, compassion, pity of God, that uh, I urge you, to, and this is a definitive, I urge you to, uh, his, his me is to, to stand. Um, it's, and para, again, is with, with standing. So, so, so you're going to stand your body there. What else are you going to stand? Well, the reason you're going to stand your body there is because your mind has decide, decided to stand your body. Does that make sense? Right? So the brain's going to come first to make the body stand. Right? So it's, uh, it's translated uh, to present. It's stand together with your mind, your body, uh, as a, a uh, offering, living, holy, uh, worshipful to God. So that's translated as they uh, present your bodies as a uh, they translate living and holy sacrifice. Uh, it's it's actually all adjectives. Uh, it's a holy, it is a um, uh, offering, living, acceptable to God. And then they translate it, which is your spiritual service of worship. I find that interesting. This, the spiritual, what they're, what they're translating, what the New American Standard is translating as spiritual is, um, uh, is, uh, the, uh, where are we? Uh, the uh, uh, logic class is the word. This is L O G I K O S. What's that word? It's your logical conclusion. Spiritual thing. This, look, consider what I've argued in 11 chapters. What is the logical, the reasonable? Conclusion. What, what what would be the reasonable response, the logical response? Um, now, how do you do that? Do not be, uh, it's uh, translated, uh, conformed. It's, a, it's systematized. Do not be systematized. To this world? Eh. To this age. What age? This age of rebellion of Israel, God, you know, so the whole, Satan's running the whole thing. Don't be systematized or, or conformed. It's not, it's, don't, don't buy in. But be metaphor, uh, metamorphous. You know what a metamorphosis is. It's, it's the old butterfly word. But be uh, transformed, it's how it's trained, uh, through the newness, the renewing of your mind. Now, how does that work? How is your mind renewed so that you may prove what the will of God is? Prove, prove. It's not prove, it's, it, it is 
and it's uh, approved. Uh, it, it is this process. I've thought this through, right? That, that I've evaluated, I've thought it through, and I have decided. It's logical. It's reasonable. And therefore, because my mind has understood it, I choose to stand my body with my mind as a living sacrifice presentable. Does that make sense? Um, spiritual? This is re Paul reasons his way to everything he does. And little bitty slow steps, so that uh, so that the Gentile can understand it. But again, a lot is lost in translation when you've got to pick one word for one word and put it on a page, rather than explain it as you go. Um, and so, uh, so so your translations. You, I always get asked, "Well, which translation is best?" I'm going, "Well, that's a hard question to answer." And I. If you've grown up with one translation, you probably need to read a different one because you quit thinking about it. Right? This verse is so common and familiar. Uh, half those words don't even, you know, what does it mean to, uh, so that you may prove what the will of God is? I mean, wh what, what does that convey? If you don't, it doesn't prove it. I mean, wh what does that even mean? Not what he's saying. Your brain has thought this through, and it has logically been convinced. This is then your reasonable response. Reasonable. It would be unreasonable to do anything. Else. Does that make sense? So, um, so your the, the way that these books are translated is it just makes it more difficult. This is where my seminary students say, "Well, how am I supposed to know this? I don't." know Greek or Hebrew, and I say, well, learn Greek or Hebrew. I can't. It's too hard. Yes. Well, it's not a translation so much as an explanation, right? So Paul, after going through, through 11 chapters, uh, therefore calls together with God. See, he is working on behalf of God, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand uh, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So he's calling together with God the brethren um, uh, through the because of on account of the, the pities of God, the mercies of God, as explained in eleven chapters, uh, that they would choose to stand their bodies as a sacrifice. Now remember, the rest of this chapter is going to explain in chapter 13 how that fleshes out. And the first thing he goes to is service to the body. The members of the body serve the body for the building up of the body, right? Um, choose to stand your body as a living and holy sacrifice, uh, uh, presentation, whatever, um, to the Lord, which is your logical response to what Paul has argued. And do not be all prey to being systematized to this age. Yeah, but it's but but the but the see 
the systemization, it, it's going to force you to conform. It's not just be conform. It's not a you're being con No, no, no. The system is pressing it upon you and demanding that you conform, that you, you join the system. Right? And he's saying, uh-uh. Not. Because it is exactly opposite a logical response. Um, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind uh, because you've thought this through. If you haven't thought it through, guess what you're not going to do? Choose to stand. Right? It's not an issue of really, really believing or having a feeling. It's what someone said in there. Can really, really feel something, but your feelings will change in four minutes. This is, I have decided, I'm going to stand. It is a resolve, immovable, chosen to stand here. Because my mind is convinced, my body's not. And so uh, this is your reasonable. Logic response. That make that makes sense. So we need to understand what we believe and why we believe it, so that we will act in accordance. Choose to act in accordance. Um, for a guy who's a rocket science smart and an attorney, uh, the NA28 Greek New Testament. <laughs> In Greek. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you're. It, I love this. Well, see, here's here's the problem: is that there was a time when we could say this is purpose and for a pastor, for an elder. But now, because the the Protestant movement has just protested and moved, <laughs> in other words, I don't like this church. I'm going to go start my own. I don't like this church. I'm going to start my, own. you know. And, and then this guy's got his view, and and the people who like his view of congregate. It doesn't matter what your view is. It doesn't matter what my view is. I don't care what my view is. My view changes. That's the problem. Uh, I'm getting uh, pressure to write, write, write. I'm going, well, if you write it today, it becomes static. And your understanding, it may become clearer or even maybe varied or different in the future, but you've already spoken, so to speak. So. So I, I, I love what Dr. Pentecost used to say. The Bible sheds a lot of light on those common characters. Okay. Um, but we have to, somebody's got to be able to read the Bible, not the New Living Translation or the Message or, you know, Joe's Study Surfer Edition or whatever. It's the last thing that's came out. Um, but, but understand it and make it, Make it clear. And so, um, 
some maybe line up several of them and say, because where they're they're at variance there's something going on there in the translation that there's that the translators are struggling with the other thing i would say is listen to it don't read it in other words listen to the the bible as you're going down the road on i don't know you might have cds anymore or whatever because what you'll will realize and if you can uh, sometimes they have a a an option where you can remove the chapter breaks so he just keeps reading and then it becomes a, a, a unified story or book or letter and it makes a whole lot more Um, okay, did everybody hear the question online? So, so how do you know that a translation doesn't add to? Can't hear you. Okay, so you got to listen very clearly. Hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm not saying. Okay. 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 Let me tell you what I'm saying is uh, what i'm saying is the bible is inspired what i am not saying is your king james new american standard new living translation message uh, french translation german translation Yiddish translate is inspired it's not it's a translation the translation of what well um, what, when the church has said the Bible is inspired, Paul's when Paul spoke the words. It's eleven o'clock. Depending uh, on the book, some books he wrote, others he dictated, and his secretary wrote it down. Um, so that's the inspiration. God, through his spirit, moved men to proclaim this truth. That is the inspiration. Our goal is to, as best as we can, all the textual evidence we can find. One of our professors uh, goes around the world and gathers, look for New Testament manuscripts. He's got about 6,000 or so, I think now. Uh, it's approaching 6,000. Then they compare because the desire is not what does all do all the copies say, because they're all copies. They don't have the original. Uh, but if you have all uh, enough copies you, and you can line them up chronologically, you can tell what's most likely the original. And sometimes there's, there's many. At the end of Mark chapter uh, 16, there's a giant section there that is debated whether or not it's actually scripture or not. Uh, the same thing with John chapter 8, Jesus with the adulterous woman. Those are passages uh, that are, um, uh, that passage is uh, is debated, whether it was in the Bible or, or not. And so, um, so we, we've talked about that some in this class, but, but, but my point is, 
and I would even go so far as to say this. It's not inspired because Paul said it. Paul said it because it was inspired. There's a difference. In other words, um, husbands are not to love their wives as Christ loved the church because Paul said it. Paul said it because husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. He is proclaiming a truth. It doesn't become true when Paul says it. It was true before Paul ever, Paul ever proclaimed it. Does that make sense? And so our, our goal is to understand what these authors, apostles and prophets wrote. And there's all, and as, and as the body of Christ, there are a lot of members in the body of Christ who are doing very minute, detailed work, um, studying ancient Near Eastern texts to find a word that is used in that text that is also used in the Old Testament only once so that they can read over there in that context and try to have a better understanding of what that word is there so that they can, so they'll spend their whole life reading text to help the body of Christ translate one word in Job that nobody cares about. There's a lot of people who are doing that. And so it all builds. That makes sense. Is that, is that helpful? Right. Is the Bible inspired? Absolutely. Is the King James inspired? The King's Lane trans? No, the, the translators aren't inspired. The authors are inspired. And translations aren't inspired. And language changes. So there was a day when cool meant cool and not cool. Right? And bad was bad and not good. Now that car is bad. Well, so so context, word meaning change, and all that. Okay, so we're renewing our mind. And this is not an option for believers to, you know, because your 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 body. Your the body does what the mind is convinced of, and Paul is trying to convince the mind that this is how we are. Does that make sense? Same thing with John. So let, let's turn our focus to the book of Revelation. Um, everything that Paul says, we could go book by book, letter by letter. Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians. Every letter he writes. The reason he says to do what he says to do is because of the truth presented in the Old Testament, in the story. Hey, woman, quit talking. <laughs> Distraction that frustrates me. No, no. I wouldn't do that at all. <laughs> but I can get away with it here. It's what was I saying? Revelation. Revelation. Eschatology. That the reason why Paul says to do what uh, he tends to do 
is in matching everything that has been revealed in the Old Testament in the Gospels is because why? Do you think this is something we ought to know? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And he's going to hold this whole thing to account. And so if you line yourself over there with that system, that system is going to be judged by the king. And so you're going to be evaluated. And ignorance is not, that ain't going to fly. Well, I just didn't know. I just love Jesus, and I just wanted to go like save people, help people. It's like awesome, you know. <laughs> no. that, that every believer is to understand why we believe what we believe, because every believer is participating in the ministry of the gospel to the world through the church. Is that good. Right. So, end times. The, the the study of end times are pretty important. Um, in every book of the Bible, the reason why believers are to do what they do is because he's coming. Psalm 1. Does everybody know Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who what? Does not stand or sit or walk over there with the bad guys. Uh, it, but, but what does he do? On the law. Why? Oh, what? Why would he do that? Because the end, in the end, his place will not be with those. They will not stand in the assembly of the righteous. He will. He'll be there. They won't. They're like the shaft that the wind blows away. Not so with him. But because his mind meditates day and night on the law of the Lord, which is more than just the do's and don'ts, it's the story. He'll be reward. He will be like a tree planted by living waters that gives its fruit in its time. When is that time? Everything points to the end. It's all coming to the end. It's all at the end. So the reason why we do what we do today is because this whole thing's headed towards the end. So, John, turn to Revelation chapter 1. Uh, so John in uh, Revelation, uh, I we talked about last week at the end of the uh, time. Did, were there any, any questions before we go on? Are we, are we, I know there's questions. I mean, are we anything that we can't can't wait on? Okay, so Revelation chapter one. Last week I told you that um, the um, the structure of the book, the way that John structures the book, is is found in chapter one, verse nineteen. He's command. Well, he does. He's commanded to structure this writing in this way. Um, write therefore the things which you have seen. That would be verses one, the vision that he sees in, in, or in chapter one, all the way up until verse 18. Of the things which are, that's what he's, what he's going to write next, to the, to, the, uh, to the seven churches, and the things which shall take place after these things, after the seven churches. So in four, chapter four, verse one, 
uh, he says, and after these things, right? after these things, I looked and behold. Okay, so the things which are, chapter one, the things which are, I'm sorry, the things which you have seen, chapter one, the things which are the letters to the seven churches and the things which shall take place after these things. Okay, all right, let me show you chapter 10, go to the end of chapter uh, 10, verse 11. So in four, verse one, he begins with the things which shall take place after these things. And then, so he takes a pass. What he's going to do is he's going to explain the 70th week of Daniel, okay? This seven year period, what happens in this seven year period. Okay? At the end of chapter 10, then he is told, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Okay, so he's going to go back through again. Chapter 11 uh, is the uh, the two witnesses. Let me show you. Let me see here. Let's see if I can share content so you, everybody can see this online. Uh, I want to uh, see if I can uh, pull up uh, something that that Charlie Bayless, one of my professors, used a long time ago, and I still use it. Uh, to teach these, this class today. Let's see, Bible books, Revelation. Tell me if you see uh, notes, notes, charts, there we go. Okay, so let me show you, uh, can y'all see this okay? Let's see if I can make this a little bigger. Okay, so see these numbers here, uh, two and three, Four, five, six, seven. See those numbers? Those are the chapters. Okay, uh, this this story or this vision that John's going to tell, part of it is going to be about what's going to happen in the heavens, and part of it's going to be what's going to happen on earth. I'll uh, I'll send this out to everyone. Make sure we got email addresses. All like. Okay, take pictures and uh, and also. Yeah, we, we can email it uh, as well. Okay. So chapters two and three, uh, th those letters are to the seven churches, and the seven churches are on earth. Good. Chapter four, right? Then he's up in this throne room. He sees this vision. And so chapter five, uh, four and five, uh, and then uh, uh, chapter six, the seals are broken, but the, but the playing out of what happens with the seals is, in is on the earth. Uh, chapter seven, eight, nine. So what happens? See how it goes? Uh, it goes seven, eight, nine. It first pass through, and then it circles back around. Uh, that makes sense. Okay, it goes. Uh, go back up to this this first chart. Let me show you this. Okay, so so this line here is the beginning of the seventieth week. This is the middle part, and this is the end part. Okay, the return of Christ. So the seals and the trumpets, the first three and a half years, the second three and a half years, and then it's going to go back and prophesy again. He's going to prophesy about the two witnesses. So it's the two witnesses who are actually the ones who are administering the seal judgments. The seal judgments are being broken in heaven. They're being administered on earth by the prophets, these two witnesses, these two prophets. What are these prophets doing? They're pouring out the judgment. What judgments? War, famine, death. Uh, just like Elijah, you know, Elijah comes and proclaims uh, the, the covenant. 
if we rebel against the Lord, the Lord's going to turn off the rain, that type of thing. Um, at the end of this uh, three and a half year period, we'll, we'll learn that the Antichrist is going to, to kill these two witnesses. And Israel is going to think that, yay, we chose the right side. What, these two guys who are causing all of us problems. Remember, the, the seal judgments were poured out on Israel to get them to repent. Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, these are judgments poured out by the Lord, administered through prophets on Israel so that they will repent. Okay? After they repent, then the trumpet judgments, which are going to look very much like the book of Exodus, the plagues in the book of Exodus are poured out on the nations to let my people go. Okay. So right here, uh, the Antichrist kills the two witnesses. They lay dead in the streets for three days. Then the Antichrist enters into the temple, proclaims himself to be God, and these two witnesses stand up and are called up to heaven. At this point, Israel says, oh no, we are on the wrong side. They repent. And then they flee into the wilderness where the nations gather, try to wipe them out, wipe them off the face of the earth. Okay? Uh, we'll talk about Michael and uh, Satan and what's happening at this point, uh, you know, uh, of the story. Okay? Uh, and then the final trip through the book is the beast and the harlot. Uh, and the beast uh, is, uh, is destroyed. And then the return of Christ. And the return of Christ sets up this uh, thousand-year reign of Christ. Uh, and in between, it doesn't show on here. Let's see if it shows here. Uh, in between, uh, here we go. Uh, there is a difference in uh, uh, the seventy weeks and the, the period. There's going to be a period of setting up the kingdom. This is the judgment seat of Christ. It will take place on the Eastern Wall uh, in Jerusalem. And so we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about that. The, the kingdom is set up. Christ reigns for a thousand years, chapter 20. Um, and then the beast is, uh, Satan is released again. Uh, there's a rebellion, uh, and then after that, the new heavens and new earth, and all are judged, the white throne judgment. So we'll talk about all these judgments and all of this uh, stuff. Um, it's a lot to digest. So let's talk about how we're going to handle this text, okay? Uh, we're going to read the text closely, and we're going to read it literally. Now, what do we... What do we mean by that? Well, literal or plain or whatever. It just, it just, if there's a lot of imagery that's going to be all throughout the book of Gen uh, book of Revelation, okay? And that imagery does not begin in Revelation. It, it is introduced in the Old Testament, and it is to be consistently used throughout the rest of the scriptures. Does that make sense? Um, there's language that the story, when I say story, the 66 books, the 65 leading up to this, there's language that these storytellers use repeatedly, and that language and that imagery is to be continued in the book of Revelation. 
and that's how you should study every book. So that when uh, Jesus uh, in Mark chapter four, um, stills the storm. Um, and then in Mark chapter five, casts out the demon from the demoniac over there in the, uh, in the garrison. The in, the, all of that imagery was set up in the Old Testament story. Okay. The imagery then is used to, for, so that the reader correctly interprets and understands what's going on. Does that make sense? In the Old Testament, uh, turn to Isaiah, uh, let me give you an example. Isaiah chapter 27. Okay. That's why I said last week, if you have any questions, you keep turning left until you figure, uh, figure this thing out. Okay, so Isaiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah uh, chapter 27. Okay. Go back up to chapter 26. Let's pick it up. Let's see, where are we? Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to find a place where we could start. <laughs> I'm going to end up in chapter one here in a second. Um, and then we're going to have to keep turning left. Uh, verse 11. Let's start in verse 11. O oh Lord, your hand is lifted up, yet they do not see it. They see your zeal for the people and are put to shame. Indeed, fire will devour your enemies. What's that talking about? When will that happen? At the end. Man, Isaiah's talking about eschatology too. Huh. You can't find... If you go anywhere in the Old Testament, any Old Testament prophet, you read for more than a few verses, you're going to be right in the middle of eschatology. Uh, Lord, you will establish peace for us. Who's the us? Israel. Since you have performed for us all our works. Oh, Lord, our God, our masters, other masters besides you have ruled us. What's he talking about there? The Gentile nations, yeah. Um, but you alone, we confess your name. But through you alone, we confess your name. The dead will not live. The departed spirits will not rise. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them. And you have wiped out all remembrance of them. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have extended all the, the borders of the land. Oh, Lord, they sought you in distress. They can only whisper a prayer. Their chastening has come upon them. The pregnant woman approaches, and it is time to give birth. She rises and she cries out in her labor pains. What do you think this is talking about? A pregnant woman who's about to give birth. You know, yeah, it's, it's this nation Israel is going to bring forth the promised one. Um, the one they've been looking for the whole story, one in the nation of Israel. Who, will, who is that, by the way? 
who is the one who brings forth the God-man? Mary. Is Jesus God? Is Mary Jesus' mother? Did Mary bring forth the God-man? So is Mary the mother of God? In a real, very real sense, yes. Is Mary a big deal? Yes. She as big a deal as the Catholics make? She's a big deal. Um, no. Now, how did the Catholics, because the Catholics didn't always believe that. They were driven to this goofy view of Mary. How were they driven there? Because the Protestant says Mary is irrelevant. Mary is not a big deal. And that's what happens. It starts like this, right? It, it happens all the time. Is Peter a big deal? Yes. Yes. Did Peter build the church? Yes. It's on the testimony of Peter that the church was established. Yes. Do the Catholics have that right? Yes. Does that make Peter the first pope? No. Right. Anyway. So this woman, Mary, uh, we were pregnant. We writhed in labor. Why does it say we were pregnant? We writhed in labor. Because the whole nation is unified in this one birth, in this one hope. It's the only reason that Israel was ever created as a nation, to bring forth the one who would be a savior for all the nations. But we could not accomplish deliverance on the earth. Why not? Israel could not accomplish salvation apart from Messiah because they never were created for that. From Israel would come the one who would say, they couldn't do it. They were looking for the one who could. We could not accomplish deliverance for the earth, nor uh, were the inhabitants of the earth born. You, uh, your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. So if you contrast that with verse 14, the dead will not live, but your dead will live. What is Who's, who's, who's the your? Your dead will rise. Their corpses will rise. This is the, the dead who are, in, who are on the Lord's side. The dead of the Lord will rise. When? At the end. Daniel, at the end of his book, says, how long, Lord? Daniel's going to be a while. Uh, enter into your rest, and you will rise again in the last day for your allotted a portion, uh, a portion. In other words, your hope is in resurrection. You who lie in the dust will awake and shout for joy. For your due is the dew of the dawn. The earth will give birth to the departed spirits. We're talking about resurrection here. Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while 
until indignation runs its course. What's happening right now? Indignation is still running its course. <laughs> For behold, the Lord is about to come out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So who's going to repay? When? After indignation has run its course. So should we expect anything to happen now? Let me help you. No. We're still waiting. Don't be shocked when evil is just running rampant. The earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. In that day, in what day? Just keep reading. In that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, with the fierce and great and mighty, uh, with, with uh, his fierce and great and mighty sword. Great and mighty sword. You know of a verse in that, that, that great and mighty sword is going to show up in Revelation chapter 19. That's not where it begins. Who has this great and mighty sword, and what is this sword? Isaiah 11. Hold your fingers, go back to Isaiah 11. Then a shoot shall spring forth from the stem of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge according to what his eyes see, nor will he make decisions according to what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and he will decide with fairness the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with what? The rod of his mouth. <coughs> uh, with this, uh, this rod uh, that will come from his mouth, and his breath he will slay uh, the wicked. Bells so this is this presented as a rod. It's a presented as a uh, uh, as a, the sword which comes from his mouth. It's going to be that's going to be real. Uh, the shield and the sword belong to Christ. Uh, the imagery here of the breastplate of uh, what was it? Uh, the uh, uh, righteousness will be a belt about his loins, faith a belt uh, about his waist. Go forward to fifty nine Isaiah fifty nine. Another look at this Christ. The Lord saw it and it was displeasing in his sight. I'm in verse 15. There was no justice and there was no man. And he was astonished. There was no one to intercede. So his own right arm brought salvation to him. Who's the right arm of God the Father? Jesus the Christ, who takes his seat at the right hand of the Father. It was presented as his right arm. His own right arm brought salvation to him and righteousness upholds him. And he, the right arm, that is Christ, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Does this sound familiar to you? It's Ephesians chapter 6. Where did Paul get all this imagery? Well, he had a Roman guard over there in the prison. No, he wasn't. He was sounding out the big words and reading straight out of Isaiah. Helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. According to their deeds, I will repay wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the lowly, uh, he will make a rep uh, recompense uh, so that they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and from the rising of the sun, which happens in the east. 
will come with a rushing stream. With the, for the wind of the Lord dries him. The Redeemer shall come out of Zion and those who turn from transgression in Jacob. And so this, uh, this sword is going to be possessed by the right hand who's going to slay the wicked. Um, that's, that's John chapter 18. Uh, he slays them with the sword of his mouth. But uh, when they come to arrest him, uh, so it continues. Uh, chapter 27, back to chapter 27, verse 2. Even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, the twisted nakash, nakash. When's the, that, that's the word that they're translating serpent. When's the first time that nakash shows up in the Bible? Now, the nakash was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. He will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. Where does Satan dwell? Where is Satan, the Leviathan, the serpent, pictured as dwelling in the sea? He runs the, the sea. Uh, the four beasts in will come out of the sea. Now, what's being conveyed there? They're being controlled by Satan, and they rule over the land. What land? The, the land. What, what's the, the land? The, the, the beautiful land, the land of Israel. <clears throat> Babylonians, Medes, the Persians, Greeks, the Romans, four beasts in succession rule over the beautiful land. Uh, it's it's the imagery the imagery is the sea now. Um, later, uh, now in uh, in the land of Israel, there are two bodies of water. Yes, Sea of Galilee, but it's interestingly, it's never called the Sea of Galilee in any writings except the Gospels. Why is it presented as the Sea of Galilee? All the other writings, pagan writings, is presented as a lake. But it's a sea. Why do they refer to it as the sea? Jesus stills the storm on the sea. Which sea? The Sea of Galilee. Um, he walks on the sea of Galilee. This is in the land. Then he goes to the other side and he casts demons out of the uh, this man who, who lives among the tombs. Demons, where do demons come from? From Satan, where did Satan come from? From the sea. And so he, see, and, and Satan and his Gentile nations brought the demons in. And now they're running rampant all over the place. And so, see, there's not a big, uh, deal about demons in the Old Testament. It's mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 32, but that's about it. Why? Demons come when Satan comes, when the nations come. And when Jesus presents himself as able to cast out the demons, cast out the demons from who? From Israel, from the Jews, from the nations. 
and send them back into the sea. All of the imagery is already established in the Old Testament. Does that make sense? So here's the land. Uh, the, uh, now we're talking about Mark chapter 4, right? Uh, Jesus in the boat. He's asleep. Storm comes up. Psalm 107. The Lord speaks. The Lord brings up a storm, right? They cry out to the Lord in Psalm 107. These sailors who do works on great waters, they have seen the work of the Lord. The Lord spoke and raised up a mighty wind and uh, brought up a storm. Uh, and uh, uh, and uh, they were going up to the heavens and down to the depths. And they cried out to the Lord in their distresses. And he heard their cry and he caused the storm to be still. Well, this is exactly what happened. Happens in Jonah. Also happens. And the question the disciples ask, right at the end of that story, is, who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey his voice. Now, if you're reading and you know the Old Testament, you know who it is. You know it's the only one in the whole story who still storms. The Lord. This is Jesus in the boat. Ironically, at this part of the Gospel of Mark, the disciples are asking questions. Who is this? They get out on the other side. The demoniac runs right up to him and says, we know who you are, son of the most high. Are you here to torment us before the time? What time are they talking about? The end time. They say, do not cast us, you know, don't, don't cast us into the, you know, don't cast us into hell. So he sends the demonic spirits. Ironically, these are demonic Spirits that are 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 uh, have demon possessed. Is this a Jew or Gentile? Do you know? He's Gentile, because earlier in Mark, Israel has already rejected them. So now he's starting to speak to them in in uh, uh, in parables, so that they will not see, will not believe. And now he goes over across the sea to the Gentile, and he heals the Gentile. Demons know who he is. But that land over there on the other side, that's still Israel's land. So this is a demon-possessed Gentile in the land of Israel, and the people of the area hear this, and they say, it's time for you to leave, Jesus. They're continuing to reject. And so the demoniac, who's now healed and in his right mind. By the way, that's also Psalm 107. Those who uh, walk in uh, the shadows of death, um, they have seen the works of the Lord. If you turn back to Psalm 109, um, this is the story of the demoniac. Okay. Say, well, are we ever going to get to Revelation? Well, we, we've got to get, we've got, i got to get you convinced of the imagery, okay? Psalm 107. <clears throat> Verse 10. The repeated refrain in this, give thanks to the Lord for he is Good, his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Okay, that's uh, verse 10. There were those who dwell in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains. Okay, here's this guy over here living in darkness, in the shadow of death, among the tombs. It says here, prisoners in misery and chains. This guy, the chains don't even hold that guy. He's worse off than even this guy because they rebelled against the words of the Lord and spurned. The counsel of the Most High. Did you see that Most High? We know who you are, Son of the Most High. 
Therefore, he humbled their hearts with labor, and they stumbled, and there was no one to help. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their, their distresses, and he brought them out of darkness, out of the shadow of death, and broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. Okay, so catch this. See, last story. Who is this? Does the wind and the sea obey his voice? This is the Lord. The demons recognize it. The demoniac recognizes it. Right? Israel rejects. He casts the demons out of the man into the pigs. Pigs clean or unclean animals? Who brought them pigs into that land? Gentiles brought the pigs in, tossed the demons back into the pigs, and the pigs go back into the sea from which they came. And the people hear it, and they say, it's time for you to leave, Jesus. And the man responds. He says, I'll go with you wherever you want me to go. He says, go back to your people. Tell them all that the Lord did for you. And he goes back to the Decapolis, to the ten cities of the Gentiles, and tells them all that Jesus did for him. Isn't that interesting? Does he know who the Lord is? Yeah, it's Jesus. Do the disciples know? Eh, they're figuring it out, right? You're walking with the disciples in the Gospels as they're figuring it out. Does that make sense? Israel rejects. The Gospel goes to the Gentiles. This is how Mark is telling the story of Israel's rejection. The Gospel goes to the Gentiles. Matthew tells it a different way. Does that make sense? But the imagery of, if you don't know the imagery of uh, the sea, of the demons, of all this stuff, all of that was established in the Old Testament. Then you just you're going to say, "Hey, Jesus has authority over the water." Okay, thanks. Of course he does. He made it. I didn't need this story to be convinced that Jesus has authority over the water, if he is in fact the Creator God. There's something much more going on. Does that make sense? So these four beast nations that come out of the sea book of Daniel, all this stuff is already happening, and it's in Daniel that we're, we're going to see this, okay? So John is going to, to write three parts, the things which you have seen, the vision, the things which are the, the seven letters to the seven churches, and the things which will take place after these things. Before we can get to the after these things, we need to understand the before these things part, okay? So uh, what I'd like to do is uh, Briefly, briefly, walk you through the book of Daniel so that you understand the 70th week. Because if we don't know the 70th week, we've got really nothing to work with. Okay? Because chapters, because Revelation chapters 4 through 19 are the 70th week of Daniel. The, the chapters 4 through 19 tell what is going to happen in the 70th week of Daniel, but it doesn't tell you there is a 70th week of Daniel. You're supposed to already know that, okay, as the reader. Does that make sense? My track? Okay. So what is the 70th week of Daniel? Just, just listen to me. It'll, it'll make sense. Okay. Israel rebels against the Lord, Old Testament. They're delivered out of Egypt, led by Moses through the wilderness. They rebel. New generation raised up. Joshua leads them in. Actually, the angel of the Lord leads them in. Okay. That angel of the Lord is Michael, the great prince who stands guard over his people. He is the protector of the nation Israel. 
He's the guy who fights for them, leads them in. That's going to become relevant because that's going to show up in the book of Revelation. There's going to be a great fight between Satan and Michael. Leads them into the nation, and the nation continues to rebel. All of the leaders of the nation rebel. Uh, the priests rebel, the judges rebel, the kings rebel, the prophets rebel, the nation rebels. And so God, according to his agreement that he made with Israel through Moses' covenant, the old covenant, Old Testament, kicks them out of the land. He banishes from the land, and he scatters them among the Gentiles. Primarily, uh, well, Egypt comes, but, but Assyria and then Babylon. And so when they're being called off to Assyria, when the Assyrians are coming, when the Babylonians are coming, Jeremiah the prophet pronounces this judgment upon Israel. Seventy years you're going to be judged. Because of all of your rebellion and not keeping the Sabbaths, seventy years you're going to, to be judged. Now, when Israel's judged, why are they judged? What's the purpose? What's the goal of the judgment? that they'll repent. In Deuteronomy, covenant 26, uh, Moses explains that if the Lord judges you, Israel, and you do not repent, then he will pour out the same judgment sevenfold upon you. And so Daniel chapter 9, Daniel recognizes that the 70 years are up. And Israel says, it's time to go back, right, Lord? And the Lord says, you haven't repented. And so you're going to be judged sevenfold for your rebellion. It doesn't take any creative interpretation. You just have to read. Um, Todd Cast, who's not here this week, he's preaching somewhere, was one of the former students. He, was, he came back and he was uh, auditing a class. And we were going through something, and I was saying something. And in the middle of the class, he bursts. I think I've told you. He blurts out, oh, Klingler's not smart. He's just reading it. And he kind of felt embarrassed that he blurted out. I said, no, that's exactly it. This doesn't take a PhD. You just have to read it like you'd read anything else, and it starts to make sense. So the book of Daniel, I'll just walk you briefly through it real quick. Daniel, uh, um, Daniel goes, uh, Daniel, sorry about that, uh, guys. Daniel goes in, uh, uh, he's one of the first groups that's hauled off into exile. The, 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 uh, the Israelites are hauled off into exile in three waves. First wave is 605, then 597, 586. Dates don't matter. But Daniel's in the first group, okay? And his buddies. Uh, and they go, and uh, they follow the word of the Lord, chapter 1. And the Lord gives them wisdom. They're trained in the wisdom of Babylon. But at the end of this uh, training, they're brought before the king, and the king says, these three guys are way smarter than any of you other people. Right? They, their wisdom, the source of their wisdom is from the Lord. What's the point? Wisdom doesn't come from the nation. There's only one wisdom that comes from the Lord. And that's what Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, names change, are now, they're following the word of the Lord. Chapter 2. Uh, chapters 2 through 7, every single one of these kings that comes in and rules over Israel in this book of Daniel 
recognizes my God isn't the God of gods and the Lord of lords. It's the God of Daniel. It's the God of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. He is the Lord of lords and the God of gods. Right? Does that make sense? And so Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he's going to, to realize this. He's going to see the vision, chapter 2. He thinks he's a big shooter because he's the head of gold. Uh, he makes this statue and, you know, bow down all the time. But, but in, at every turn, um, now remember this book was not written for the Babylonians. It was written for Israel. Israel needed to recognize that it, they're not in, in Babylon because their God loses, is weaker than the gods of the Babylon. They're in Babylon because their God sold them into Babylon. And he's running the whole joint. He's God over the Babylonians and God over the Assyrians and God over all these nations. And so they're exactly where they're supposed to be because they're being judged for it. So they need to do what? And these guys who are faithful, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're delivered. Uh, where Israel is still under judgment. Israel doesn't uh, repent. And so Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 says, all right, then it's 70 times 7. And the clock's going to start when you are given the command to rebuild the city. This is in 444. And for 69 of the 77s, so, so uh, 69 times 7, 483 years. You're going to suffer until the Christ comes. And then he will make atonement for sin. So the last night, the last day of the, of the clock of the 483 years, is the triumphal entry of Christ. He makes atonement for sin. And then there's this delay as uh, the story waits for the 70th week, which is why right after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, in Acts chapter 1, his disciples ask him, okay, 70th week, right? Time to start. Is now the time that you are establishing the kingdom? And, and, and Jesus' answer comes right out of the book of Daniel, times and epics. It is not for you to know the times or epics which the Father has appointed beforehand. But you go take the gospel. And you're going to take the gospel out. You will be my eyewitnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And they learn what that means. That's not just going to the Jews of the diaspora. It's taking it to the nation. And Paul, in particular, is going to be one who's going to take it to the nation. Okay? And so Paul, this is what Paul's teaching. Paul is explaining to the Gentiles that, uh, this time of the church where the gospel is being proclaimed to the Gentiles by Paul so that his hope and prayer is that the, the Jews would be moved to repentance. Removed, be moved to jealousy, be moved to anger through Paul's proclamation of the good news to the Gentiles. Right? All of this was foretold in Deuteronomy chapter 32, which Paul quotes repeatedly in Romans 9, 10, and 11. With me? Okay, so this is what Paul's explaining. Okay? Um, the, the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, will not happen until the things that, that were foretold in Daniel take place. Specifically, um, Israel is going to make a firm covenant with Antichrist. That's going to begin this 70th week. That's going to start the clock on the 70th week. 
halfway through that 70th week, three and a half year point, uh, the abomination of desolation is going to take place. Right? The Antichrist is going to enter into the temple in Israel and proclaim himself to be God. And Jesus is going to refer to this in, uh, in uh, the Olivet Discourse, Matthew. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, run for the hills. Flee into the wilderness. It's going to be horrible. Satan's going to pursue you, and if those times were short, no one would survive. Firm covenant, which, we're, which we talked about a couple weeks ago as the apostasy, Israel's apostasy, entering into covenant relationship with Antichrist. Abomination of desolation. Antichrist enters into the temple, declares himself to be God, and then the return of Christ. Those are the main uh, points. And, and that's before we ever get to Revelation. Okay? Revelation is going to flesh this out more. Does that make sense? It's going to talk to about what happens. It's not just the beginning uh, abomination or the, uh, the uh, covenant and the abomination of desolation, uh, but he's going to explain how this comes about. Not what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. Does that make sense? That's what we're dealing with in the book of Revelation. Good? The more you tell in a story, it, it, it comes together and makes sense. Right? Okay, I'm tracking, tracking, tracking. Questions? All right. All right. Good? Two witnesses. So, so uh, two witnesses. These are guys who are going to show up. Probably Moses and Elijah, I'd guess, who are going to proclaim the judgments prescribed in the Old Testament upon Israel to get them to repent. Judgment specifically, war, famine, death. To get them to, to, uh, to repent. Repent of what? Repent of turning to Satan and forming a covenant with Satan. Their, their role, their ministry is going to be to take peace from the earth. What peace? The peace that has been established by this, this false peace that's been established by this uh, agreement. Okay? And how are they going to do it? They're going to be pronouncing judgment upon Israel while uh, Antichrist is trying to get this thing on the, on the rails. Does that make sense? Uh, as we talked about, they're going to be killed. Uh, abomination and desolation, they're resurrected. Israel flees into the world. The second half of this seven years is let my people go. These are judgments poured out on Satan and his minion who are trying to wipe out Israel. Judgments upon Israel to get them to repent. They work, they repent, let my people go. Now, Michael's no longer in the second, seven, seven, second three and a half year period. He's not defending Israel anymore. Who's going to be Israel's deliverer? Christ. He's going to come. He's going to say. This is Zechariah 9, uh, uh, 9 through 13. He's going to wipe them out. And it's going to be the bloodbath, the biggest bloodbath history has ever seen. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Pray for us. Har Megiddo. Har, uh, 
hill of Megiddo. Town of Megiddo. Yeah. Yep. Right there in the, the, uh, the valley of Hilo. All right. But we're out of time. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for our time and uh, for this study. And Lord, uh, open our eyes so that we can see it, so that we can evaluate it, understand it, and help this uh, end time study change our minds, form our resolve of our minds so that our feet would stand firm, that uh, we would be willing to live for the gospel, endure all kinds of wickedness during this age, knowing that the king is coming. So he's our hope. So we uh, pray to you through his name, by the power of the Spirit, that was given as a down payment and a promise that the King is coming. Amen. Thanks, guys. Next week, we will plug along.